Hello, it's Adrian Goldberg here, and this is Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, the Byline Times podcast. And uh, these are momentous times in British politics. As I speak, I'm awaiting the door of Number 10 Downing Street to open, and we're expecting a statement in the next few moments from Liz Truss. And we're going to broadcast that live via Byline Radio, although, as I say, unconscious, you may be listening via the Byline Times podcast on Catch Up. Very keen to get your reaction as well to whatever happens next. As I speak, we just don't know whether Liz Truss is going to announce her resignation or whether she's going to say that she's going to continue. She's now coming to the lectern in Downing Street. So let's take this broadcast live. She's about to uh, she's about to talk, folks. Here you go. I came into office at a time of great economic and international instability. Families and businesses were worried about how to pay their bills. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our whole continent. And our country has been held back for too long by low economic growth. I was elected by the Conservative Party with a mandate to change this. We delivered on energy bills and on cutting national insurance. And we set out a vision for a low tax, high growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognise though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. This morning I met the chairman of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady. We've agreed that there will be a leadership election to be completed within the next week. This will ensure that we remain on a path to deliver our fiscal plans and maintain our country's economic stability and national security. I will remain as Prime Minister until a successor has been chosen. Thank you. Well, there you go. Absolutely phenomenal breaking news. Liz Truss has quit as Prime Minister. She's going to be Prime Minister for one more week. She has said that she, uh, and you could tell, couldn't she, she uh, used the past tense. We've delivered national insurance reductions. We've delivered on energy bills that she said, but she said she could not deliver the mandate on which she was elected. So she has gone and we will have yet another Prime Minister. If you're listening live to this on your phone, via the Twitter app, and you've got a microphone in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen, I would be absolutely fascinated to get your immediate reaction to what we have just heard. If you just tap on the microphone, and you're requesting access when you do that, and if uh, I think you've got something constructive to say, then I'll happily let you on, because it'd be really interesting to get your thoughts at this moment. Liz Truss has quit as Prime Minister. She's going to be there for one more week. In the meantime, there will be a leadership competition. She's had a conversation with Sir Graham Brady from the Backbench 1922 Committee of the Conservative Party. And she's going. She cannot deliver, she says, on the mandate on which she was elected. It has to be said, the writing has been on the wall, hasn't it, for some time on the weekend politics podcast here on the Byline Times, speaking to our political editor, Adam Bienkov. 
a few days ago. Adam, along with many other political commentators, it should be said, said that the the tide was definitely turning against her in the Conservative Party. We know that at least 15 Conservative MPs had said that they no longer supported her. That was 15 who declared in public. The suspicion is that there were rather more in private saying that they no longer had any support for her. There was confusion last night, wasn't there, in the House of Commons. Truly bizarre scenes. The government saying that a vote on fracking was a vote of no confidence. A government minister then at the dispatch box saying actually it wasn't a vote of no confidence. And subsequently, we learned that it was a vote of no confidence, a significant number of Conservative MPs missing that vote. There were suggestions that the chief whip, Wendy Morton, had resigned. That was reported by several respectable news sources. Then it turned out that the chief whip hadn't resigned. Likewise, her deputy. So there has been this sense of chaos engulfing the Conservative Party. But the truth is, right from the moment that Kwasi Kwarteng delivered his first mini budget for the Conservatives. It really felt as though the Prime Minister was on very shaky ground. Quasi Kwarteng's first budget in which national insurance increases were reversed, in which income tax for low earners or average earners was reduced from 20p to 19p in the pound, but more crucially for higher earners was reduced from 45p in the pound down to 40, sent the markets into turmoil. And it's a turmoil from which weeks on now we haven't really recovered. Of course, Jeremy Hunt then was brought in as Chancellor following Kwasi Kwarteng's resignation. Jeremy Hunt adopting a much more orthodox economic approach compared to Kwasi Kwarteng, seeming to calm the markets down to at least a degree, but obviously not before significant intervention by the Bank of England, which is pushed up mortgage rates for many people. Of course, it's not just that which is playing out at the moment. We do have a cost of living crisis. There are global issues such as the war in Ukraine, Russia's invasion, which have helped to push up food prices as well. But food inflation is running at something like 14% in this country at the moment. So these really are momentous times. Uh, I honestly and I've been around a bit, I honestly can't remember a time like this in my lifetime, a time of such political instability. Maybe you can. If you want to join in, as I say, if you're listening on your phone, on the Twitter app, in the bottom left-hand corner, there is a little microphone. If you tap that, you can join us. I'm delighted to say that Adam Bienkoff is with us. Adam is the Byline Times political editor. And Adam, well, history has just been made. Yes, incredible, really. Shortest ever serving prime minister, actually by some distance. Um, yeah, it, I mean, we knew things were bad. We knew there was a chance that she could be out this week. But things really moved very quickly today following the disastrous scenes we saw last night in the House of Commons over the, the fracking vote. Um, it seemed then that, that we were, seemed to be in the end game. And as the morning went on today, uh, it quickly became clear that she'd run out of road um, her deputy prime minister went in to see her. Graham Brady went in to see her this morning, and the Conservative Party chairman went in to see her. And now we know that there's going to be a contest, and we're going to have a new prime minister within a week, which is quite extraordinary. Um, it remains to be seen exactly how that's going to work. Uh, what, what kind of contest? Presumably, it's going to be a contest among MPs, or 
potentially that, that they've agreed some kind of you know a, a front runner or that there is a unity candidate but that's only going to become clear over the sort of coming hours really yeah julie brown who's commenting on twitter says we need a, a general election as soon as possible possible just says no not another leader not voted by the nation this is madness but I suppose the Conservatives, Adam, would argue that we have a system in this country whereby we elect MPs, individual MPs, whichever party has the largest number of MPs elects their leader, and that person is the Prime Minister. That's the theory of it, although generally, in a general election, many people would say that they are voting for a Prime Minister. So depends which way you look at it. But I think many people will be calling now for a general election. I'm sure the Labour Party will be amongst others. Oh, I've lost Adam for a moment. Uh, we have got Sean Norris with us. Sean is the Byline Times Chief European and Social Affairs Reporter. And uh, Sean, you and I recorded a podcast yesterday. We were talking mm. about austerity. And whoever's the Prime Minister of whichever party, I think we can expect a good dose of austerity now, given the state of the, the economy. I mean, absolutely. I think one of the things that is very frustrating about all of this Westminster drama is that we are in a crisis as a country, not just a constitutional crisis as we deal with this kind of chopping and changing of leadership, but an actual embodied crisis that people are feeling in their homes, in their schools, in their hospitals, in you know all, all of the public services that are really struggling to make ends meet because of these energy crisis, because of the cost of living crisis. And you know when Liz Truss stepped up to this lectern, she said, oh, when I came into office, family and businesses were worried about paying their bills. It's like they still are worried about paying their bills and you know at the moment what we really really need is a strong and effective government that can actually deal with the crises that we are all facing that are causing people so much harm and so much suffering and instead we're still trapped in this endless conservative party psychodrama which I feel like I've been living in since 2016 and I'm bored of it frankly <laughs> I want I want a government that works I want leadership that works I want people to feel healthy and happy and have good well-being and have good prospects and good future and no more of this, you know, absolutely bizarre, absurd political nightmare. Yeah, I've got to say, and of course, this may only be re reflective of the people who follow Byline Radio on Twitter, but there is a very loud call for a general election now. Uh, Raj Unsworth says we have zero confidence in any of them. A general election is the only way forward. Nathan Bolton, general election now. Bav Dandikar says, who is likely to be the next leader then, Hunt, Sunak or Braverman? Now, I've got to say, I, I mean, Suella Braverman, Sean, was mm. perhaps the only person in mainstream politics who thought Liz Truss's government wasn't right-wing enough for her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know. I mean, to be honest, yeah, who is, there isn't a unity candidate. There is no one at the party will coalesce around. I mean, even the sort of scenes that we saw yesterday with Braverman's resignation and some of the response to that, you know, the hard right of the party aren't very keen on people like Hunt, on people like Sunak. Um, you know, there's always Penny Mordaunt. She always seems like a contender. But again, she didn't get past the sort of, she didn't get into the top two in the last um, set of voting for the leadership. I mean, it really feels like the Conservative Party is very, very splintered right now. And, you know, I think, again, if we sort of go back, my God, to 2016 and you know, David Cameron said that we'd have the referendum and it would resolve the kind of division in the Conservative Party for the gen for generations. And you're like, 
my gosh, that was six years ago and we're about to have our fifth prime minister from the same Conservative Party. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's a really kind of odd feeling, isn't it, as well? You know, and there's, there's a sense really of a, you know, we've got these really major issues, as you say, and the sense that the Conservative Party is tearing itself apart, well, you know, that's all well and good for the Conservative Party, isn't it? But it doesn't warm anybody's house. It doesn't put food on anybody's exactly. table. I mean, there is a there is a question whether Jeremy Hunt, having come in as Chancellor, and effectively, I think many people would say, having acted as Prime Minister in the uh, in the day since. I mean, he's been dictating the the path of government policy really since replacing Kwasi Kwarteng. He it is, which bearing in mind was like less than a week ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the chaos. You know? it's, it's bizarre. Sorry, I feel like I'm being quite hysterical, but it's just such a surreal situation that we're watching play out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think Adam's going to hopefully join us again very shortly. <laughs> Political editor, we were dogged by uh, poor reception. It'd be, be great to get uh, Adam's uh, insight on this as well and a few other folk from uh, Byline Times. So if you're listening on the phone via your Twitter app, by all means, do just tap the microphone in the bottom left-hand corner of your phone and, and join in just it's just a moment isn't it It'd be great to get your reaction to exactly what has happened is there anybody out there who feels sorry for Liz Truss I suspect there may not be that many that there, there was something again Sean it, it struck me kind of not very prime ministerial about Liz Truss I don't know how you define the qualities of a prime minister but the sense that perhaps she just wasn't quite a grown-up politician that she was obviously in the grip of these Tufton Street ideologues people like the Institute mm. of Economic Affairs who we discuss a lot on the byline times but not somebody who it seemed to me had a, a great grasp of the trials and tribulations of ordinary people. I mean I feel that that last point is really is really important. I think there was never a sense that she really understood what the cost of living crisis meant for individual, you know, for families, for households, for individuals. Um, and that's why I, I sort of zeroed in on that thing that she said just before she resigned about, oh, you know, when I came in, people were struggling to pay their bills. You know, obviously, everyone is grateful for the energy price cap, but it's not two and a half thousand pounds a year is still an unimaginable amount of money for a lot of households to see their bills go up by. And I mean, one of the things that we sort of know from Trust is she very much leaned on her background um, growing up in Yorkshire, but actually, you know, sort of very much like quite a, quite a sort of strange narrative to kind of make out that she was in touch with ordinary people's lives and ordinary people's struggles based on her childhood in, in 1980s Leeds. It was always felt like it was a bit of a a sort of strange thing to keep going on about when people are actually suffering and struggling right now and need help and intervention right now. But then again, I'd also say, I can't remember the last time I felt like we had a prime ministerial prime minister. Perhaps it was, you know, Gordon Brown. I mean, if you look at Boris Johnson's very undignified exit earlier this year, when you think about David Cameron whistling his little tune as he left Downing Street, none of them seem to have taken this role as perhaps as seriously and with as much gravitas as it needs. Thanks very much indeed to uh, Sean Norris, the Byline Times Chief European and uh, Social Affairs reporter. Uh, Sean and I recorded a podcast yesterday about Austerity 2, the sequel, reflecting on the likely path of spending cuts, which have been spelt out by Jeremy Hunt 
and uh, that's well worth listening as well. My thanks to Sean. Let's get a word now with Peter Jukes, executive editor of the Byline Times. So, Peter, it's a it's such a moment. We took the the Downing Street statement live. We didn't quite know what was going to be said, and Liz Truss very briefly, very pointedly announced her resignation. What's your first thoughts on that? Well, let's just step back a bit. I mean, this is the culmination of, well, 12 years of conservative rules, starting obviously with coalition, but more particularly six years of Brexit lies. Because if you look what's happened ever since the EU referendum, you know, Johnson didn't make it the first time. He spent time as foreign secretary and then on the back benches plotting against Liz Truss. He wins. He wins election. But obviously, he wins election having ousted her midterm. And, and it all begins to sort of accelerate in this direction of unaccountable you know, rats in a sack, root to rats and root to sacks, I think, actually, that expression. But it becomes a sort of fist fight between these different factions of the Conservative Party. Obviously, then he is forced to resign. I mean, it takes ages. He refused, He lies about the lockdown parties, refused to be accountable. But Rishi Sunak and Saeed Javid and various people then oust him. Now, who is Liz Trust? Liz Trust is Boris Johnson's preferred candidate, i.e., and the rumours are hard to stand up, but this is what reports say. He knew she was useless, but it at least maybe lead to a clamour for him to come back and make him look good. So what you have is we always known from back to Disraeli about the slippery pole of politics, particularly in the Conservative Party, but in all parties. But all we have is people going up and down a pole, slippery pole at rapid speed and uh, ignoring the interests of the country. Obviously, the markets have settled down a bit, but they've been pretty bad. The pounds have been bad. Our exports have been useless since Brexit happened, the hard Brexit. It was a hard Brexit of the early 2020. Then obviously COVID, the pandemic, war in Ukraine. But compared to any other G7 country other than Russia, heavily sanctioned Russia, we're performing awfully. None of this internal politics in the Conservative Party solves the problem. Why? Because they won't address the fundamental issue of that £350 million a week, the NHS lie, which they've just doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down on for the last six years. So although the Labour Party won't really address Brexit directly, Peter, do you think as a country we are going to have to go back into that debate around Brexit and Britain's relationship with the European Union? No. Well, well yes, look. Brexit. What did Brexit mean? What did leave mean? I mean, Daniel Hanna, sort of key figure, Eurosceptic MEP, said, oh, we'll stay in the single market. Oh, we'll stay in the customs union. Oh, we'll keep really close to Europe. And because of this doubling down of internecine fighting, the hardest Brexit became the Trump whereby Boris re re uh, replaced Theresa May and then Liz Truss promising a more deregulated growth sort of Singapore on Thames. So, it's 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 Brexit is not one thing. Brexit is not done. We have left the EU. We may not may not go back for many years, but there are hundreds, thousands of different relationships we can have with the EU in terms of, you know, requirements for import and exports, Erasmus, all the schemes, you know, crime prevention we were invited into. But because Brexit was the shibboleth, that's the way you show your patriotism. We've gone to the hardest Brexit we could have had 
without a no deal. The space is now open for Starmer saying we're not reopening the Brexit debate. We're not rejoining the EU in that formal terms, joining the Council of Europe. But why not a customs union? And exports are the problem, right? One huge problem affecting our economy is that the pound has sunk. Usually we export more because they're cheaper. Our exports have crashed thanks to this ridiculous trade war we declared on ourselves to a hard Brexit. The second thing is actually productivity, and that is to do with exporting and importing skills, more freedom of movement to uh, people across Europe, our closest neighbours, who have the right skills. So those two things... If you slowly do, do not mean rejoining the EU. You know, we've got all the way to the Norway option, which is, uh, or EFTA, all these other options, which are much softer, much better for the economy. And I think Starmer, in a way, has cleared quite a good space. There's nothing to stop him signing up to Erasmus. Why not? I mean, you know, there's nothing in the manifesto. It doesn't mean you're turning around Brexit. You're just doing what's sensible for the nation in the economic dire straits, which Brexit, mainly Brexit, has cornered us into. And we'll get Adam Biankoff on shortly again, the Balance Times political editor. But um, I'm, I'm intrigued to th- who you think will take over, because obviously we're not going to have a general election. Uh, and this kind of question from a listener uh, plays into this, Peter. This is from McFluffy. He says, does this mean the influence of the IEA? And I guess by implication, all of the, the Tufton Street think tanks is now extinguished. I, I think it is. I mean... You know, we've been writing about Tufton Street. I did my first film about it in 2018. And they're extreme uh, libertarian market fundamentals, which, as we've seen, does not understand market fundamentals. And so I think the the president, everything we've seen shows that everybody knows that system of low tax, uh, zero investment, uh, money to the riches is wrong in this side part of the cycling economy. The public don't like it, and the markets don't like it because the market, the countries that do better than us, like Germany, like the dollar, they're investing. There's a stimulus, not cutting public services, not cutting benefits. So I think the economics of this are gravitational, ineluctable, and a major reset. And anything that just, you know, whoever replaces will not have the confidence of the right of the Conservative Party to undo that, to go back to a more sort of, you know, Johnson talked a lot about intervention and leveling up. He didn't actually do that much. But you have a problem. The Tory party is wedded ideologically to the kind of libertarian agenda. It, whenever it moves away from that, it faces rebellion. And so you just don't have a coherent ideology there. As for Tufton Street, IEA, well, my, my sense is, you know, they're just laughed at now. They're laughed at by serious economists. They've been disproven by reality and the, what the Bank of England has to do. They're a busted flush. That was their high watermark. And what we're seeing now is complete, depends how long it takes, doesn't matter who uh, the replacement is, because I don't think even if Rishi Sunak took over, which is tough, given the animosity towards him from Johnson supporters, uh, that the public will go, oh, yeah, we're happy now. And the markets are going to go, we're happy now, because it's the fundamentals. You can't just change, you know, the front man. When the, you can't just change the captain when the, the ship has hit an iceberg. Mm. Stay there, Peter, if you would. It'd be great if you could hang around for a bit. Um, our colleague Sam Bright at Byline Times makes a very interesting comment on Twitter. He says, Tufton Street took 12 years to create Prime Minister Truss, 
and 45 days to destroy her government. <laughs> Very pithy take on it. Uh, Adam Bienkoff, Byline Times political editor, is with us. And uh, Adam, what's the talk there then about what happens next? Truss has said a new prime minister will be in situ within a week. Yes, which is a remarkable timetable, given that the last contest took six weeks. Um, so we don't know exactly know the details. Oh, Adam, I think we're defeated again. We're defeated again by Adam's uh, sad... We'll go Have you to... any thought... Go on, Adam. Sorry, you you really... You keep dropping in and out, I'm afraid. Yeah, I saw that. Um, uh, <laughs> so it'll be a sped-up timetable in the parliamentary stage, and then it'll go to members, and it'll all be wrapped up by the by the end of the week. But it's it doesn't look like it's going to be the sort of coronation that, that we were hearing about in, in recent weeks. Oh, so you think there will be a, some kind of proper leadership battle? Yes, as I understand it, there will be a there will be a contest. Although it will be much much more sped up than than the previous one. Yeah, yeah. And hot favourites? Any names? Well, inevitably, Rishi Sunak is going to stand. Um, Penny Morden is also likely to stand. Um, Kemi Badenoch, Suella Braverman. I mean, it's potentially a very long list. Um, I think the, the problem is, is whenever it, if it does go to the members which it may well do. It depends on whether or not MPs manage to, to settle on, on just one candidate or not. If it just goes to the members, then all, what always happens in this contest is that the, the candidate who is seen as the most right-wing overwhelmingly is overwhelmingly likely to win. So if Rishi Sunak is standing against, I don't know, Suella Braverman, for instance, then there's a good chance that we could have Prime Minister Braverman. Although I think at the moment that's probably less likely than, than, than not. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy Hunt, of course, came in. And although he, he is ideologically in some ways close to trust, you know, but very much a, a small state tax-cutting agenda, in his role as Chancellor, he's adopted a, a more cautious approach. He's soothed the markets at least to, to some degree. He's got to be a contender, hasn't he? Well, yes, he had, he did rule it out this week, but he's you know he's ruled it out in the past, and then he ended up standing in in this summer's contest. So I wouldn't be surprised if 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 he did put his, his name forward. Um, actually, we're hard to think about all of the potential candidates that there are. It's it's quite hard to see how they're going to finish this all in a week. But uh, that's that's what they seem to have agreed. So we're just going to it's going to be a, a bit of a wild ride next week. Um, yeah. But you know. If, it, if, it's, if, it, if it's only among the MPs, I think there's a chance that it goes to somebody like Rishi Sunak, someone on the centre or the centre-left of the party. Um, if it goes to the membership, then I think, you know, all bets are off, really. OK. Well, listen, Adam, I'll let you go. I know you've got a lot of writing to do and a lot of chatting to do. And you and I will catch up again tomorrow for the week in politics, which we'll be recording tomorrow afternoon. I can't wait for that. It's a, been a pretty lively week, I think it's fair to say. But thank you uh, for now and bringing us Thanks, up to this news and battling through the reception uh, difficulties that we have had. And um, uh, Peter Jukes is still with us, uh, executive editor of the Byland Times, and we'll take one or two calls as well from listeners who want to join in. But um, Suella Braverman's an interesting thought, Peter. I, I said earlier, she was probably the only person in the cabinet for whom, or perhaps the only person in mainstream politics for whom Liz Truss's government wasn't right wing enough. Everybody, everybody was tofu fighting as the line goes <laughs> after her excoriating attack on on a f- form of is it fermented 
beans or something. Um, and I, what was missed under the distraction of attacking or attacking Guardian readers and Toffee eaters and latte drinking uh, vegetarians and things like that was very draconian law that she passed was passed through the Commons yesterday. She's quite a scary figure in terms of her, you know, her dream is I have a dream like Martin Luther King. The dream is that one day she'll be able to see a plane take off with asylum seekers sent to Rwanda. I mean, she is Steve Baker, obviously quite close to Steve Baker. He was talking about her. He was her leadership campaign, uh, you know, the uh, campaign manager, I think. He was last night with her when she resigned uh, in those rather strange circumstances, which we still got to the bottom of. Um, I think that is, she's definitely the ARG wing. She's definitely a cultural warrior, banging on about cultural Marxism and the BBC and the woke brigades and things like that. I mean, if she got the preference of MPs, which I think Adam said was unlikely, uh, that would be it. But if she went to the country and was elected by the membership, I mean, just the 70,000 who voted in the last election, I mean, that would be an extreme right-wing move because it's quite extraordinary. Not only was she the shortest tenured Home Secretary, I think, in well, at least in living, living memory, but for like 150 years, she also seem to be more draconian than Pretty Patel, which is quite an achievement. Um, I think this is, uh, there's some great phrase by some philosopher, you know, in the morbid stage of a dying for not, you know, there's all these morbid symptoms during uh, the uh, crisis of an ideology. And, and I just don't think culture wars, I don't think banging on about immigration and woke is going to help people whose mortgages are going up hundreds of pounds, whose food prices have gone up 10%. As Sean says, who are living in increasing poverty. Why would you care about sending, illegally at the moment, a handful of sorry people who've crossed the channel into, to Rwanda? Why would you care about a tofu? Uh, you know, this is a, it's the people who, it's a narrowing escalation. I said, we've seen this in Brexit. It's a rhetoric which is self enforcing, but is increasingly departed from the material realities of how most people live. They're worried about their heating, they're worried about their bills, they're worried about their food. They don't want crazy people taking on tofu. What they want is a steady hand. And that, unfortunately, for the Conservative Party, is not how they operate anymore. So I can only see another leader leading to another crisis and a general election within months. Mm. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, my understanding from reading around it and taking soundings from people I know, Peter, is that Sula Braverman essentially had, uh, and, and she alluded to this in her resignation letter, she had issues with liberalising immigration. Now, both Liz Truss and Jeremy Hunt, as I understand it, it, there was this missing £15 billion pounds from, uh, from the budget. Uh, obviously, they'd reversed some of the tax cuts, they'd reversed the national insurance cut and so on, but there was still £15 billion. Pounds. And one way in which you could make the figures work was uh, by liberalising immigration. The OBR then would see that as a, a stimulus to economic growth, and that would help to plug some of the shortfall that the international money markets were concerned about in the UK's budget. But Sola Braverman, who was Home Secretary, had responsibility for announcing a liberalisation of immigration laws. 
she wanted to hold to the 2019 Conservative Party election manifesto, which promised no increase in net migration. I'm sure that's a, a promise that David Cameron had previously made and also breached previously. But that lay behind Suella Braverman's resignation. Now, there was a, an issue about a letter that was sent from a private email address to another the Conservative MP about this issue. And she sent it to another MP by mistake. That got back to the Whip's office and that was a breach of parliamentary protocol. But I think underlying it was a row over immigration. And again, even within the, the Tory right, you look at Liz Truss and the Tory further right, and you look at Suella Braverman, it's clear that there are quite deep divisions about that. I mean, that's a brilliant bit of forensic investigation, Adrian. And I, I, I think it's completely on the money. Um, and obviously she's calculated that whatever her personal trajectory, trajectory, she was better off you know, concocting a reason to resign and then going for the next leadership bid or holding to her ideology. And this is back to the greasy pole problem. Everybody is looking after their own interests within that narrow achievement of getting a ministerial job or being leader. Nobody's looking after the country's interest on immigration. This is an ineluctable reality. If you want to grow, if you have shortage of nurses, it isn't all about tech chip gurus, if you have supply chain problems, the way we have got out of every public sector deficit, you know, a, a sort of uh, amount of debt on our books from World War One to COVID is usually by growth. That's how Labour under New Labour brought down the public sector debt. Because you grow and they, you know, controversially invited in a lot of before other countries did a lot of Poles and Bulgarians who just recently gained EU accession. And that caused problem. You know, migration, I don't deny it, unsettles some communities if there aren't safety guards in the, in the domestic um, labor market, people can have that feel they're being excluded and being replaced. But, there's the, you know, this is economic reality. There are two ways out of this hole. Cutting spending, making people poor so they don't have any money to spend on pizzas or postal services or transport uh, won't make the country grow. Um, the way out of it is to invest more in infrastructure and things, not reduce benefits and pensions, keep the company, the country productive, export more, get rid of trade barriers and tariffs, and make people more productive and that's what, as a trading nation, we've always done. My grandfather came here, you know, from Armenia. Your relatives came from other, you know, uh, from Czech Republic. Well, I can't no, remember, no, my, Adrian, my dad, but, uh, my yeah. dad, Pete, my dad uh, is a Ger was a German Jew. Um, uh, so, German. Uh, he fled yeah. from Nazi Germany. And my mom was an economic migrant coming from Ireland. So, yeah, uh, you know, and my, my partner's parents also came from elsewhere, you know, so it, it's I, I was speaking to, I got it confused, Alf Dubs, who came for the, in the Kinder, Token, Kinder yeah, Transport yeah. from the Czech Republic. Yeah, and that's really, for 200 years, Marx fled here. I mean, my, people not like might not like Karl Marx, so did Voltaire. You know, we often, especially after World War II, took in talented people who have made our economy, back to the Huguenots, whatever, back to the Normans, but they immigrated rather violently. You know, so that is a shibboleth for them. Because the red meat, it is an irrelevant policy. They spent 140 million on it, the Rwandan deportation scheme, without sending anybody. Right? It's purely a waste of public money to f 
I don't know, to wave a flag of sort of recidivist nativism in the eyes of the public. And it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help all those people who might blame migrants. Oh, you know, the, you know, it's decaying the shopping center. There's all these people from abroad. The shopping center will close down even more. They'll be poorer. And that is what the Conservative Party is ideologically unable to face. You know, it goes back to Brexit partly. Uh, but it's that idea of austerity. We made a mistake in 2010 of thinking the way to grow the economy was stop it being crowded out by public spending, you know, councils and schools. And then if you just cut spending, then all private industry will flourish. Can I use the word on this? Bollocks. Bollocks, <laughs> bollocks, bollocks. It was then calculated. The IMF had got this wrong, by the way. They thought for every pound the government cut from public spending, it would reduce 0.8 pounds, ATP in the public economy. They then revised the figures and said that every pound you spend on a council worker or a nurse or a teacher generates 1.6 pounds in the economy because nurses, teachers, council workers, they have money. They go and spend it, unlike hedge fund billionaires or bankers with their bonus who tend to invest it and make property inflate or diamonds or whatever they spend it on. The public money leads to private money being spent because, you know, council workers, all these public employees need other private services. You know, you expand your waste collection, you'll hire a private waste collection, to, you know, and these people are paid in real money. So that is the profound line. You have to blame Cameron. I have to blame Clegg for that stupid analogy. We've got to get our credit card debt down. Well, if you're going to buy a house, right, and grow a family, you buy a house and you get a mortgage and then the price goes up or your wages go up and it all seems like a sound investment, even though you're taking you know hundreds of thousand pounds on in debt that's much more like how the economy grows you invest in infrastructure you invest in talents and skill they grow and then the debt disappears let's go to one or two uh, listeners peter this is uh, oh hello troll who's been very patient thank you hello, hello. Troll. who isn't a troll at all we know this from previous conversations hello you're right thank you thank you hi adrian uh, yeah. first of all i would like to say that the lettuce one um, uh, yes, the lettuce one. Somebody, uh, was it the Daily Star actually uh, had a lettuce yes. out? A 60p lettuce bought from Tesco um, outlived Liz Truss. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the second thing I want to say is that yeah. you asked if somebody feels sorry for Liz Truss. I actually don't. Uh, she was in the job for six weeks and she did a job really badly. If this was a free market, if she was she was uh, working in the private sector and somebody found out that she lost billions and billions of pounds, she would never see uh, the door of another company. She would never occupy any office anywhere, any any position anywhere. And yet she is entitled to £115,000 per year from the state. So... I, I don't know, make it make sense, kind of. Uh, the other thing is that I, I've i been listening very patiently about Suella Braverman, Cammie Badenoch, and all these other, like, they're sort of like the figures on extreme right, even though they're, they're, they're sort of like diversity people, but they're, they are still extreme right people. I'd rather rub salt in my eyes than see them in the office. It, it's, it's, it's horrific to say that, but it's, it, it's, it's bizarre where we have end, ended up. And we're talking about extreme right-wing figures being in the running for the office. It's, I, I, I don't understand that. It's a strange thing, Peter, isn't it? And we've discussed it before with the editor of the Barland Times, Hardeep Matharu, how people from diverse backgrounds, people from ethnic minorities, 
don't behave in the way as politicians that people sometimes expect them to behave. And, and people are individuals. They're entitled to hold their own views, even if other people find them objectionable. But it is kind of weird, isn't it, that Suella Braverman, that Priti Patel, that Kwasi Kwarteng found their way into government holding views that many people would regard as harmful to members of diverse communities. It's uh, I, I recommend everyone to read Hardeep's piece, The Identity Trap, on this. Um, and it's so interesting. Yesterday, by chance, first time ever, I went to PMQs with Hardeep, our editor, and with Anna Bienkov, our political editor. And it is fascinating when you're actually there. You look at the Labour benches and you look at the Conservative benches. The Conservative benches are basically a sea of white old men, a few women scattered around. The only, the very few people of colour sit on the front bench. So, Hello, Peter, you still there? I'm not quite sure what happened to uh, Peter. He's just dropped off. Uh, uh, hello, Troll. Uh, did you have any, any more to say or shall I go to George? Uh, no, I, I think just 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 one last. I think uh, echoing everybody's uh, um, emotions at the moment. Like we definitely, we desperately need a general election. With that, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you to it. But oh, well, thank, thank you, so thank much you for, for having me. Part. Let's have a word with George. Hello, George. Welcome. Oh, there we are. That's great. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Brilliant. That's brilliant. well done. Hello, welcome no, to Byline yeah. Radio. Ironically, just, can I just say, by the yeah. way, if people are listening to this live. Um, I should just say that Byline Radio, these live broadcasts are turned into podcasts by my very good friend and colleague, Harvey. And what Harvey does is uh, just kind of tidy them up a little bit and, and makes them uh, a lovely podcast. Right. But all of this is paid for by subscriptions to the Byline Times. I usually say that. And I didn't today because we had to go straight to the announcement in Downing Street. But the Byline Times is a brilliant monthly newspaper edited right. by Hardik Faru. If you take out a subscription, and subscriptions start from as little as £3 a month, if you take out a subscription, you're helping to fund Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast as well. I shall certainly do that. Can I just say as well, head over to bylinetimes.com. For the details. Go on then, George. I've, I've on so, Go on. Rather interesting, if you may, because um, ironically, you know, just the, the, your last callers were talking about people of color. So I'm, 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 I'm a black guy, an immigrant who moved to the UK in 2001. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, on the back of the old, oh, um, how do they call it? You know, visas for for highly, highly. Um, High earning people, highly skilled people, people. That's 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 the one. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I've, I'm, I I watch UK politics with no emotion at all, so I'm, I'm quite brutal in, in that regard. Yeah, and I cannot believe how how the the UK population populace has let the Tory government or the Tory party, shall I say, yeah, tie its its own fortunes to. To, to the fortunes of the whole country, it, it beggars belief. Yeah. And, and 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 on the events of today, um, the, the the irony is that the MSN, so so BBC, um, um, Sky, and everybody else, still dominates the narrative around. Um, oh, shall the Tory Party choose another another leader, if you may, another another PM for us, and an elected 
head, head of government or who's gone to an unelected head of state to 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 determine all our fortunes and and it's crazy that all, all these people uh, are, are clearly clearly charlatans clearly people who are talentless but have been promoted beyond 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 their own uh, uh, talents if, if if you know what i mean yeah 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 and and yet we accept it as if it's 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 night following day it's shocking <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and it is, it is a weird moment. And uh, Peter Dukes is back with us. I'm not sure what happened there, Peter. You, you dropped off for a moment. But um, Indra J on Twitter, Peter, making a, a similar point, I think, to George, saying, you know, is there another case in history of more than one leadership campaign during a term of office? Can a general election be forced? I, I mean, it, it can't be, I don't think. But it, it, is, it, is, is, sorry, isn't that an, an indictment on our democratic system? Clearly, the UK is not a de- democracy. Then would you say so? If if we the people cannot cannot determine our destiny, uh, what, well, what is the point George, of the UK George, democracy? George, George, the, the, I mean, there's a, 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 a welcome Peter's thoughts on this, but I mean the way it works in theory, George, mm. and I, I think people are entitled to take issue with this. The way it works in theory is that you elect your local MP. Your MP is a member of a party, yeah. and that party then chooses its leader. Yeah, so and if uh, the party has more seats than anybody else, the leader of that party yeah, is the I'm, prime I'm, minister. I'm, yeah, I'm well aware of, 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 of the yeah. way uh, of the, the system in, yeah, in the, the UK is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm well aware of that. Yeah. And uh, clearly I have issues with that, isn't it? Because, because clearly... Clearly, we, 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 we run around to the world. We run around to Russia, China, um, the rest of Africa, which, which I grew up in, yeah? but although I was born in Sweden, um, uh, about how, how, how democracy should work. But clearly, clearly the UK is not a democracy. Clearly, evidently. We, we cannot... Uh, and the, fa- the fact of the matter is every other so-called... Um, um, so-called... How, how do I put it? How do I put it? Um, so media like the BBC, you know what I mean? Everybody, irrespective of media, if you like, yeah? Just yeah. accepts it. I, I think we should be questioning the whole notion of, of the constitution of the UK no, as, I, as a, I, as a I, democracy. I, 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 think, I think you're right, George. And uh, yeah. I, I say I'll bring, I'll bring Peter in on this, but I, it seems, it does seem... Strange, Pete. I mean, we, we have we, we talk about the theory of our democratic society, mm. but in 2019, people voted for the Conservative Party with Boris Johnson as their leader. Shocking, if if if, if you ask me. <laughs> and, uh, well, let, let me let me bring Peter in there, George. Uh, and it, and it, I think it, George, you know, it George, does, it does seem crazy that that then that same party can choose to have somebody other than Boris Johnson, uh, and we don't get a say in that. I think George makes a very good point. And I do think Johnson's the key one here because his tenure, you know, this was the third time, wasn't it? We'd had Cameron, gives way to May, May midterm. She gets election, goes to election two years later, fails to get a very good majority. She's disrupted. Johnson takes over from her. He gets a stonky majority. And then his move midterm. 
this all goes back to what happened to Thatcher, the poison around that and what happened with her ousting with John Major. But here's the thing which has really happened to change the British Constitution. And George is completely right. You know, there's a description in the status of democracies where there's democracies and sort of managed democracies and authoritarian oligarchies. And there's a, a phase, a slow shift from a democracy with authoritarian or oligarchic features to an oligarchy with democratic features, which is probably Russia at the moment, right? So what has happened, which has really changed the nature of how our parliamentary democracy is uh, supposed to work, is this moment they go to the members. Because what the Constitution says is, or in a, in a, it's a weird, unwritten way, and I said Johnson, because it's unwritten or it's just a guideline or a protocol or gentleman's agreement, somebody ruthless, ungentlemanly, and libertine like Johnson would just walk through them. We've learned that with parliamentary standards. We've learned that with the ministerial code. There's no enforcement. It's assumed the decent, that good chaps theory of government. Now, what has happened, and it happened to the Labour Party to a certain extent too, is suddenly the, it was opened up to the membership. And so it was party activists and members who, not, who, who elected the leader, not the MPs. And our constitution hasn't adjusted for that because the constitution says... It's the uh, the king now should appoint as prime minister whoever can command a majority in the House of Commons. That's it. And obviously, generally, those majorities are determined by parties, sometimes coalitions of parties. But there's no room in the Constitution. But, oh, all these people over there in the summer of 2022 voted for Liz Truss. That, you know, it's not there's no constitutional role for that. And so. The solution some people are posing was Nadine Doris is basically saying, oh, in 2019, everybody elected Boris Johnson. He has the mandate. And so we go to that presidential system, which would be terrible in our circumstances because we don't have the checks and balances most presidential systems had, separation of powers between the executive and legislature and all that. But of course, people went to vote in 2019 for a variety of reasons. Maybe they didn't like Jeremy Corbyn. Maybe they prefer Boris Johnson. Maybe they like their local MP. Maybe they like the manifesto. But technically, they don't vote for Boris Johnson. He is only voted on by the, the uh, citizens, uh, the electors of Uxbridge. And so, George is profoundly right. I don't think, by the way, that we have lost democracy. I think it's in crisis. And this whole crisis last year have revealed its flaws. And so I'd agree with him, but I'd just say the game isn't over and a lot of people are waking up to the democratic flaws in our system. Peter, so is it time to have a written constitution in the UK? Shall I ask that? I, you know, the difference between written and unwritten is quite complicated, isn't it? Because... Uh, it is written, our constitution, but all over the place and done by precedent. There's no one defining document like the American constitution or well, the French uh, Fourth Republic. Yeah, um, sorry, Peter, but uh, however, the uh, president does not really, we know that from from, 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 from the courts, you know, the uh, the legal system, isn't it? Presidents does not really matter in the UK because black and brown people are more likely to be sent to jail longer than white white people and vice versa. So despite the fact that there's presidents in, in, in individual cases and, and, and that translates into, into um, the whole uh, constitutional dispensation of the UK, um, clearly, clearly presidents does not matter to ambitious over 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 ambitious non you know talentless people in the uk who want to grab power doesn't matter I, george 
I'm I'm violently agreeing with you. And so just this point about written or unwritten, it needs a codified constitution. I completely agree. All the flaws that have been revealed from like electoral idea, everything Mm. needs urgent addressing. And there is, by the way, I know Hardeep is a member of this Commission of Power looking at constitutional reform. I know, you know, know Gordon Brown has a Labour Party group looking at this and they've bit that's been leaked out of their report is getting rid of the House of Lords. Um, there are so many things wrong. And yes, yeah, so what I mean is, con- whether it's, you call it written, unwritten, and I completely agree about the sort of the unwritten leaves mm-hmm. racial biases, class biases yeah. all over the system. Oh, we have good judges. So, of course, they're not going to just lock people up because they don't like, they don't know them or they don't like, the, you know, they're people they don't understand. Mm-hmm. But of course, they do. And and American Constitution, what I love about it, you know, if you look at it, it's got its huge flaws, by the way, including the fourth, is it the Second Amendment of bearing arms? But yeah, yeah. The, the, the guys who constructed that, the founding fathers, because they've been through that, you know, revolutionary war against the monarch, yeah. what if a bad person gets in power? They weren't. You know? What if, what do we do if somebody like a king, if somebody tries to be a king again? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that's where they came up, impeachment and all these systems. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we need. We've yeah. had bad people absolutely. in the past. Yeah. I'll tell you what, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it quits for now. Oh, it's been a God. fantastic oh. hour. I was just Thank getting you, you to uh, uh, oh sorry, okay. All right. Okay. No, no, listen. Um, I, I tell you what we're gonna do though. Uh, it's two thirty now. We're gonna be I'm gonna go back live again this evening okay. at ten o'clock. There's a lot of people at work, a lot of people have had time to digest absolutely. the news. <laughs> a little bit later on. So we'll do another Twitter space this evening at 10 p.m. UK time. If you can join us, please do so again. And sorry to people who haven't been able to get on today but uh, in the afternoon, but I will try and get you on later on. And uh, we'll have some more guests lined up. Um, but it'd be, be good to me to reconvene. When we've had time to digest everything at 10 p.m. tonight to UK time. Go on, Peter. I, I was just going to say that in the meantime, if people are still desperate for news, I think that Hardeep and Adam will be doing a live Byline TV event on Byline.tv uh, in the next half an hour or so, maybe at four o'clock. And then we can do that and then join you again at, at 10. And we, you know, covering everything. Fantastic. Brilliant stuff. And as I've made the point before, if you do want to support Byline Radio, if you want to support Byline TV, if you want to support the Byline Times podcast, it's very simple. All you have to do is take out a subscription to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper. Find out how by going to bylinetimes.com. But a subscription so reasonable for all the fantastic journalism that we create. It starts at just £3 a month. So please head off to bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. Thanks to Harvey White. He does such great production work with these podcasts as well. I'm Adrian Goldberg. I'll see you again very soon, 10 o'clock tonight. Take care. Have a good day now. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I'm going to do it.